We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome into the SoRare Andrews podcast brought to you by Rotowire and sponsored by SoRare. I am Andrew Laird, Senior Soccer Editor of Rotowire, joined as always by Andy Black and today a very special guest joining us once again, Ivaldo Basso from the, you were on the Currency Bundle podcast that we did months ago where you slashed all of our dreams that we were going to get ETH rich just by buying these soccer cards. But uh, Ivaldo, how's it going? Well, you know, once again, I'm going to slash your dreams because, you know, as the senior soccer editor of Rotowire, I find it totally bizarre that you have a so rare podcast and yet you want to speak to somebody that no longer even plays on so rare. It sounds like you're not catering to your audience. They're, they're, here, to hear, they're here to listen to you guys about the game, not someone that doesn't want to play the damn thing anymore. I think we have gotten to the point where enough people think that we are only positive about the game, which I, I don't think is completely fair, but we needed somebody to uh, straighten us out a little bit. And I think you did that in the, f- the first time you uh, came on. And obviously it wasn't strong enough because Andy and I are still here playing so rare, but you were clearly the, uh, the biggest person on that podcast because you decided to walk away. And how does it feel not playing so rare anymore? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to have much prophetic to say about it. I think, I think not playing is more like about me than about so rare. I mean, so rare has all the elements of a game that I love. Uh, soccer cards. We talked in the last pod. I have over 40,000 physical real soccer cards. So obviously I like that. Uh, Wait, you said 40,000? 40, what? Oh, you said 40,000. 40,000. Yeah. Four zero 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 zero. My God. I thought it was thirty thousand last time. Are you buying more? Weren't you supposed to be? No, selling? I actually, I actually embarked on like a. It's not exact, but I embarked on like actually trying to count, and it's like a big estimate, but it's definitely over thirty. So I'm using forty. Are you just weighing them to to count? <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, brilliant game, brilliantly designed. Um, I think. Uh, I I think when I really think about it, I'm just going to blame Black. Because why not just blame him for for stuff? Yeah, there you go. You know, I, and actually, and I haven't even told you this, like, you know, and we, you know, we used to talk almost every night for months uh, just about the game and, you know, in, in the Discord and stuff. And uh, 
And I admired so much how much fun you were having. So yeah. like my fifth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade sons, they know black because, you know, here was this guy buying cards of guys whose like name had dong in them or poop in them or guys that were posed funny. And I'd like, I'd show that to my kids. And you know, they thought that was like the funniest thing ever. They thought like black was a legend. And then, yeah, I love like, it. but then my eighth grader would be like, dad, that's so stupid. Do those cards even score a lot of points? And then I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm raising a miserable fuck just like me. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, but, but it, it did make an impression on me how much kind of fun you were having. And, you know, once I started kind of, there was some weeks I was like missing putting in lineups, which was like unthinkable to miss that deadline, you know, between December and May when I was playing. Like unthinkable. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, but that was kind of the first sign that things started were unraveling a bit. But it seems like because we, you were the one of the first people that I talked to about the game also, but it, it always seemed like it was more about the game than it was any collectibles for you. So did you ever get to the point where you were like, maybe I'll just collect these or like once the game wasn't fun enough that you were kind of walking, that you're just like, if I don't want to play this game, then I, I guess I'm done. Yeah, you know, my mind never crossed. I've never gotten there Um the collectible element, I've never gotten there. I'm not there then. I wasn't not there now, obviously, um, which is weird because I have these useless, you know, physical <laughs> cards. And so, uh, you know, uh, and I just that that switch hasn't flipped. It, and by the way, it, as much as I poked fun at Black earlier and, and and his style of buying some cards, let's not. No one here is kidding themselves. The guy's like one of the most uber sharp uh, players in the game uh, and a super great mind on this game. And it was just a uh, you know, it was just that he, he could be super sharp and serious and like fun at the same time. Which I, think was great. <laughs> I appreciate and, that. Yeah. The collectible part, I never, I just, I don't, I don't believe in it. And I can't even tell you why. <laughs> Probably because they're so vanilla and they all look the same, right? Like that's, how do you collect something that, when they all look the same? You know, what's funny is, so that's a great comment. I, I agree with that. But then also I can say like, physical cards nowadays like they're all different and there's special cards for everybody and they all don't look the same and i think that's annoying also <laughs> gotcha i'm just miserable and never satisfied no matter what no I, and, and by the way through all this i think so rare is the, the game design the technology the the economic like the, the the economy of the game like is uber fascinating, especially to someone like me that's like interested in like financial markets and stuff. Like, like not a bad word to say about it at all. And, and really, it's it's more like about you know you you have that pie chart of of time. We, we all have like limited time, right? And you you break that pie chart up in different ways. And you know, you guys mentioned it uh, the other day. You know, there, there's a team a few miles from my house, uh, a fourth division team. Uh, I'll say fourth division. There is no fourth division in the U.S. So and anyone that's not in the first three divisions just calls themselves fourth division. So, but so there's a fourth division team that started this year a few miles from my house, and I just started helping them. I was the stadium announcer, the Twitter feed, the uh, a little bit of play-by-play, -play, uh, helping guys find jobs. Uh, you know, talking to the coach and the players about. And I, and I'm not one of these Twitter. I'm not one of these like formation junkies 
uh, or like tactics junkies, but talking to players and coaches about what you were about to do and actually see it unfold right in front of you, like your decisions, like that was really, really neat. And like something that like in some ways made fantasy sports feel like a little bit empty. Now I say that, but I still like play DraftKings. I still play EPL season long. How, how much of a dinosaur am I for still doing that? So like I have no good reasons here. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that you're definitely still playing DFS. So it's not like you've separated yourself from fantasy sports. Right. Yeah, I get I, you know what? It's it's probably not a great take. I still get like charged up for like daily fantasy. Now I now I only play MLS now and not like every league in the world. Um uh, so I've limited it quite a bit. But so you're not playing the Turkish League or Indian Super League DFS slates, no? <laughs> hey, there was uh, back at COVID when like the Turkish League was the only thing going on. I mean, it was like unbelievable, the prize pools. It was like comical for those of us that have been playing a long yeah. time. There was nothing greater than seeing somebody win like $300,000 from a A-League classic slate or something that kicked off at 3 o'clock in the morning. And on the right. East Coast. So, yeah, those were the days. Right. Uh, anyway, so at what point, like, obviously you stopped, you know, putting lineups in, but you could have also just left your cards to sit, but instead you decided to sell them. Obviously, economically, that made sense. But was there ever a point where you were like, maybe I'll just keep them there. And if I want to pick it up again, I'll, I'll go back or... You no, just and, and it's like one of the annoying things as I was playing, a thing that would annoy me about the super sharp, and I'm making generalities now, like, like I'm just making a generality. So I'm, I'm going to be wrong because not everyone fits the generality, but it seemed to me there was a lot of super sharp players that I thought were super sharp that had the gigantic lobbies and they weren't selling what I could tell. They weren't selling very many of their cards. And that was like, so annoying to me. I'm like, what are these people doing? Because they don't, they don't need, and I know you need a lot of cards to play in all the leagues. Trust me, I get it. I get it. I had 120 yeah. something cards and you still were like, holy crap, I can't even fill this, fill a 16 or something. So I get it. But, you know, like, and so, you know, I didn't wake up one day and say, I'm out. I'm liquidating the whole thing. It wasn't kind of like that, but, but I did start selling around the margins and, and some good players too. Like I sold like a, a Carl's Guild reward that I got. And, you know, I sold them for close to a grand. And and once you sell a couple and start monetizing, you, it comes, becomes a little easy. Once you cross that barrier where you're not like having any emotional attachment to the to the damn card, it becomes a little easier to keep to keep selling. Well, not only that, you're breaking you're breaking lineups. So it's like if 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 Carlos Gill's not in that lineup, then the other four cards might be less valuable now and, and easier for you to part with. No, that well, for sure. And I, and I was experiencing that, um, like, like that scenario, like when I was like 120 ish cards, like that wasn't really going on yet. Certainly that was, that was in play when you're getting down to like 80 or so that, that yeah. was actually totally in play. Um, but like, I look at a guy, like, I'm just going to use a random thing. Like, like, and then I live in Chicago, so I'll just use Kenneth Cronholm, the, the like second or third string keeper on the fire. Let's just take him for yep. a moment. Yep. But like, it's obvious. I mean, this guy's like 37 years old, like he's been injured for like years. 
Like this guy's like never playing soccer again, like ever. And, and like so many people have his card. And I look at that and I say, well, I mean, are those people really waiting for him to get transferred and play on another team? Cause like the percentage chance of that now happening is very close to zero. And then you're like, well, you know, no one, they must not be selling it because they know no one will buy it. But, and I looked at this a few weeks ago, not in preparation for this pod, but a couple weeks ago. And like a couple of his cards were selling for like 150, 200 bucks. Like you got to take that all day. Like are you yeah. waiting for Kenneth Cronholm to be $600 again? Like I don't get it. And, and people with big lobbies, I get that there's like corners of their lobby that are just immater- quantitatively immaterial for them to spend time. But, but you know, these hundred dollars here and there are going to add up over time. It adds up. And so, you know, I think it wasn't hard for me to, um, and, and I've been, you know, I've been dealing with illiquid assets for over, well, over two decades in my professional life. Now that, that doesn't make me smarter on them. It just makes me, um, I think it makes me less emotionally attached to them and makes me uh, realize um, a lot of things about liquidation value that I think people are going to be surprised when they go to sell a bunch of cards or when they want to sell cards. Right. Yeah. And I think we see some of that with like the deals going to like the big dealers like Powell and uh, some of the other trading type accounts that are buying galleries. You're, they're not getting a hundred percent of their, quote unquote, so rare data value, they're getting a percentage of that. So they're not getting that full full value that they think that it might be worth. Yeah, look, I, and you know, I'm, I'm, I think I have like two cards left. So I've sold, you know, about 120 cards in the last few months. And one thing I will say, it, so, so, so rare data, first and foremost, if someone's listening to this pod and hasn't like gave a donation to so rare data, I don't know what the hell they're doing because the website is absolutely critical and you wouldn't even enjoy playing so rare without that sister site. So go donate to so rare data. He's, I don't think he's any longer accepting uh, donations. Oh, he doesn't? No. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Did you, right. did you hear the news that he raised a round of funding? I did. I did. Yeah. So that's couldn't why. Be, couldn't be happier for the guy. That's why he's not taking donations anymore. Yeah. What the hell? Hey, hey. Two revenue streams is always better than one. <laughs> so, but like when you're, when you decide to liquidate your cards, this is probably not a popular take or maybe there's a counter argument that I don't know of. That's I, what you're here for. The unpopular takes, man. I looked at so rare data, literally zero. Didn't even log into the thing. It doesn't matter. There's only one thing you have to look at when you want to sell a card. Go to that card on so rare. What's the lowest price it's selling at? Guess what? The card isn't worth that price because no one's paid it. No one's paid that price for it yet. Okay. Not, yeah, yeah. Some some dorks on the corner will tell me, oh, but I have number one of a hundred. Okay, there might be a few. There might be a few few things here and there. I don't even think that's all material, but okay, I'll give it to you. But like, all you got to do if you're not listing your card for the lowest price in the whole thing, you're not gonna sell it, period. Yep. So that's the only data point that matters. And, and what so rare data says, how the card has behaved last year, four months ago, three months ago, that doesn't actually matter. It doesn't. So like I, I have not logged into so rare data for months. I haven't needed to. 
Um, I, I would say if you so when you idea, real, real quick when you sold your gallery, you didn't you didn't you didn't utilize server data at all. You just undercut the market and probably logged back in, checked, and if somebody undercut you, you undercut them back and until it sold. Well, that's all I did. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, that's I mean, if you want to get rid of a card, that's how it. If there's yeah. five people selling a card for cheaper than you, no one's like buying your card. Right. Instead of go, yeah. buying the other five, they're just not. So, yeah. You know. Did you have like a time frame though that you wanted to get out? Like, obviously, you could have set a price higher and say, if somebody comes along and pays this, then great. But yeah. you just want it out. That's the part. No one's gonna come along and do it. <laughs> Especially if there's cards lower than you. Right. And, and so I, I would say, if someone really wants to know what their liquidation value is of their thing, go to the lowest offered price and subtract 10 or 20%. And that, and that is your liquidation value. Uh, the lowest end of the range of your liquidation value, period. Um, I could have went to Pavel and stuff and, and, and had it done faster. I thought I could do a little bit better on pricing than maybe if I did the bulk uh, sale. I, I have no evidence uh, either way, but I just, I just thought that. Um, so, uh, so one, one of the big things that you uh, talked about on the last time you were on is just kind of the relationship between ETH and fiat prices when it comes to these cards. Did you look at the price of ETH at all when you were selling? Like, did you care? Because well, you, I, I remember I you saying- No, I didn't care at all. I mean, I only cared what the lowest price in the lobby was of that particular card. Um, now I've tracked closely, like when I judge my success, well, success, I mean, people that are just playing for fun, that already is successful. Like you've been successful if you're having fun playing. So I don't mean to like introduce all these, like, oh, well, you have to be making money in order for this to be fun. That's not true. Um, like my only judge of how I did fiscally is like how many dollars left my Chase bank account and how many dollars I put back in. The difference between those numbers is what my results were financially. And like I, I talked back when I was kind of playing the game more, like people had all kinds of crazy ways to calculate how they were doing financially in the game. For me, what leaves my Chase account and what goes back in is the ultimate uh, measurement. Uh, accumulating ETH, I don't, you can't do anything with it, anything real, right? You can't go to the doctor, can't eat, can't rent an apartment. So, I, you know, it's just like money. Um, so that, that was kind of my, you know, that was kind of my metric. And I think I, you know, roughly, these are roughly, and just to be transparent, not that these are anything sexy, you know, I probably bought, I'm in the neighborhood of kind of 125 cards kind of total that I bought. And that was like 37-ish thousand. And then I sold all those. I'm, I'm going to fall out now at about like 65,000 um, one selling those. Uh, and so, you know, it's like right around like a $25,000 profit or so. Is that good? I don't know. Seems I, good. I, you know, I mean, it was like seven months, wasn't it? it? It actually proved one of my theories. I think, um, like if I just, my average buy-in of ETH was like 1,100, you know, dollars per ETH. And my average sell of ETH was like $3,200, 32 or 33. Um, and I had a lot of buying transactions and a lot of selling transactions. So I kind of did everything kind of incrementally. Um, like I would have done better if I just held the ETH itself and, you know, 
in, 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 in the last, in the last podcast, I was of the theory and I, and I, and I talked about some specific cards to try to prove the theory um, that owning the cards is like, not even a hedge. It's just a different asset than owning ETH. You don't own ETH when you own the so rare cards, you own a different asset that yeah, for sure. in its own ways based on unique factors and ETH behaves in its own ways based on unique factors. And those factors aren't necessarily the same for so rare cards uh, and ETH. Well, one thing, well, one thing I do want to mention, and, and this is just a, a rant, th this is the part I'm fascinated about the most and why I'm going to stay, find ways to stay close to the game. Hopefully you guys keep me in the discord. I, I like in any marketplace, like a stock market, a currency market, uh, you know, so rare is no different than those kind of markets. Um, in any marketplace, there are events that end up causing uncomfortable ripples or some degree of pain for participants. I don't think it's happened yet in so rare. Um, I think it's going to. Now, I don't know what that event is. Uh, the characteristic of these events in markets is usually that they're like hidden gremlins uh, because if they weren't hidden gremlins, then people would foresee them and avoid them. So like, I think about it as like this, um, company that I never heard of until three days ago, this Chinese company Evergrande, which has been in the news the last several days. Um, and like, here's a company I've never heard of in my life. And now it has like the potential of wreaking havoc over Everywhere. worldwide financial markets. Hmm. And so, you know, it is always kind of this gremlin and Whatever, whatever, whatever this catalyst is that caused some uncomfortable ripples, I, I'm going to be really curious to see what the SoRare community, all the players, how they react and what they do about it. Now, there was a ripple in SoRare already, but it was to the benefit of all the players. Now, reasonable minds may interpret what happened earlier in the year differently um, when all the values like went to the moon for that like few week period. And, you know, some of us sold cards for like five X what we bought them at based on really nothing. Yeah. Um, that ripple was so rare, making a complete mess of the uh, supply demand balance in the game. They were asleep at the switch and didn't pump enough card value, enough cards to keep up with the user uh, demand for cards. So demand outstrips supply. Uh, for that multi-week period. Uh, those of us that were in the game then benefited hugely from that. Now, I can assure you that that mistake, so rare, won't make that one again because that mistake cost them millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, but, but there will be a ripple. There will be something that happens the other way that will make people uncomfortable. And it just, it'll be fascinating to see how that unfolds. And I'm not saying so rare will do anything wrong or the game makers will tweak the game and piss people off. I'm not saying it'll be something else that none of us can even think of. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's interesting. Um, I don't know that they can uh, pump out more cards. If, I mean, if the, the user base grows uh, at a substantial rate, like it is right now and continues to do so, I mean, when it comes to rare cards, you're still looking at only a hundred of each one. And if 
you know, a uh, hundred people want to buy a Ronaldo. Well, tough luck. Ronaldo is not getting minted right now. And uh, there's only so many out there. Yeah. So I think there will be, you know, fringe scenarios where, you know, I, I don't think so rare can, can pump out cards faster. Well, you know, you, you were actually in, and this is part of my reason why you're like so sharp at this stuff. Like, you actually turned me up. You were, you were commenting throughout kind of the course of time on like the, um, you know, number of seconds even between right. like card sales where they, they certainly can toggle that. Right. Right. But they do have, they do have a set distribution model of how many cards will be auctioned and how many cards will be rewarded. Yeah. Um, and that's a set amount. So sure. Right. They could go sell all of the Neymars, but um, once they're, once they've sold all the Neymars that they've said that they were going to sell, they're done. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is, I think is like, Hey, Abaldo, that imbalance, they may not have been able to toggle it because that imbalance, like they might've not had enough even authorized car authorized cards. When they looked at their sheet and saw like what they needed to save kind of in reserve for future awards, like they actually didn't think they even had enough cards to, to pump them out more. That's kind right. of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that answer. I know th that is certainly plausible. I'll say, I will say that's why they wanted these yellow cards. The limited cards is yeah, yeah they can pump those out. And right. so we've only seen the prices of those things go up. Is that right? I mean, that's what we're seeing right now. That's shock. I mean, that, like, I mean, this is like a, this is a, could have been close to the game for a few months. That shocks me. I mean, that shocks yeah. me. It shocks me too. It's shocks gonna me be, too. It's, I mean, as long as the user base grows, uh, that, I mean, then it's all good. You know, I, so the user base doesn't grow. So is that the black swan that you were talking about when the, the user base finally plateaus off? No, because everyone can see like they're like, so rare will see that and do something to try to counteract that or make it. And users, I mean, there's statistics that I see on Twitter that people get from so rare data, like how many lineups are like that. That's enough. That's foreseeable enough. That gotcha. I don't think that that's one of these catalyst events. And by the way, one of these catalyst events, I, I chose my words like will cause an uncomfortable ripple. I'm not saying like so rare's going to zero or like everyone's. I don't think it's like that dramatic, but it'll be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But because because like like every single market in the world has periods of that, and so you can't tell me that like so rare is like the uber unique market, the only market in the world, the only economy in the world. That will only go up. Like I can't buy that. <laughs> yeah. Even though I can't explain why or why not. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um... We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. One thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned before is how you were buying ETH. You were buying ETH while you were buying cards. Like you were, uh, that was the way that you were getting more money into so rare. Are you still buying ETH? No, no, no. I, I just don't have like an interest in kind of crypto and I'm not in any other NFT pro- like projects. If I was going to do NFTs, like it would be so rare. Cause I think the game's fantastic and great and it has utility and you know, all the reasons you guys love it are the reasons I love it. Do you think, are you guys, are you, do you guys, you guys do a bunch of crypto outside of your, uh, outside of your cards? I used to not really anymore. I mean, this consumes enough of my time to where I can't research other things or work on other things. Like this is my my side hustle, and uh, yeah, I mean that's all I have time for right now. Now, um, both of you, but Black first, because um, your gallery is big. Do you shed cards periodically, like around the margins, or not really? Um, I have a bunch of cards for sale right now. Um. Because there's a big, really, because there's a lot of new users joining right now. And it's, I feel like it's a good time to list some cards for sale because there's going to be people that, you know, want some of the cards that I have. But uh, I have not sold, like, probably the last, like, four weeks before this week, I haven't sold a single card. And not for really. Not a single card? Yeah, not for really any specific reason other than um, uh, just I've been super busy. And um, like I could kind of see trends of like growth coming. And it was like, well, why sell now when, you know, maybe in three weeks we'll have a lot of new users that want these cards. Right. Now, do you sell like there's two sellings. There's a person that lists their card for sale to make themselves feel good. And that they're yep. like, well, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in sell mode, too. Right. And then there's people that list their cards for sale to actually sell it. So I do at the lowest price and you know, which one I do two things. Um, I do, uh, if I want to sell a card, I will undercut the market and I'll be the lowest listed on the market. 
um, by five, ten percent, whatever. And if somebody comes in and undercuts me, I will undercut them right back and till I sell the card. If it's a card that I want to get rid of. Right. Um, but with like super premium cards, um, if I notice that there's none other listed on the market, and I might be kind of giving away a secret here right now, but I'm the only one, or I was earlier today, the only one with a Joshua commit commitch uh card listed on the market and it was like five ETH. But somebody DM'd me and they were like, hey, what's your price for, for him? And I was like, nope, uh, that's the price. And it's like if somebody came in and they were like, I have to have this card right now, yep. I'll buy him for five ETH, they could. And I did the same thing with Noah Lang Super Rare. Um, I don't want to sell that card, but if somebody wants to go on the market and pay 15 ETH for it, they're welcome to do so. To totally agree with that strategy. I would, I was back when I had like a Guerrarian Super Rare. I did just put it out there for like a, an amount that I really didn't expect anyone to pay, but you're just saying, but it was the only one out there. So if someone wanted that one card, like that was the price. So I, I think, I think what you're doing is totally awesome and sound. Andrew, do you sell cards? Uh, I just counted. I've sold 18 cards in the last week. Wow. Like, Sounds I, like we should be interviewing you guys on the pod Why you're exiting so rare. No, 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 no. I, um, so I pretty much sell, because I win such low rewards, but I do win cards, but I pretty much will post any card that I win yeah. because I'm at the point where the only cards I want to, I want to acquire are ones that make my lineups better. And if I win a card that does not make my lineup better, then I pretty much immediately try to sell it. And I always I post it like the lowest. Super, I think that's like super smart and super sound. I like love it. I, yeah, so the, these new limited cards, we, we, there's a weird thing going on that I don't think any of us can really explain, but it, there are, because the limited cards have, were, was the key to bring in people who wanted to play for a lower budget, the limited card market, and obviously there are more cards, is like significantly more liquid than rare cards and super rares. Like, obviously there are more of them, right. but the secondary market is also extremely liquid. And so the odd thing about it is, is that like I sold a card the other day for like $5, which, you know, a month ago, I didn't even think you could list a card at $5, but like there's so many of these limited cards. And like, if I'm not going to use this card, the $5 is worth more for me than holding this Correct. card. Correct. And so I, that's what I do. I just post pretty much any card that I win at this point until I can finally win a good card. I think that's smart. So like I had like a, a little bit of a theory and it sounds like this is not happening. One thing I was afraid of is that, you know, the, the yellow cards were limited or limited were, were like a gateway to, for getting people into the game. I, I saw a potential path of people, you know, buying their limited, limited cards so they can build their lineups and then, then wanting to progress in the game. And in order to progress, start selling their limiteds, but like totally disappointed that, at the prices they were getting. And now instead of a gateway, they were stuck because now like they lost a bunch of money on their gateway drug, the limiteds, and they couldn't even pay for the, for the rare cards anymore. What you're telling me is like that, that like totally is not happening. I'm not saying that actually. Um, I think, I think where the, the jump where the problem is with the jump is I think there are people who are, are making profits on their limited cards 
but it's not enough to get to the rares. So they bought cheap limited cards. They were able to turn a profit, but now it's like, I don't have enough to buy the rare cards. So now I have to go buy more better limited cards, but now I'm paying more for it because everybody's paying more for it, but I still don't have enough. For it. So you, you end up in this weird limbo of, do I put more money in to buy the rare cards, which allow me to progress at some point and win better rewards? Or do I just buy semi overpriced limited cards so that I can win comparable cards to what I own to then sell? But then I don't know, like, I don't, I don't think there is as clear a progression from limited cards to rare cards as we think there is. I think the weird thing that we're seeing right now is like one of the reasons to buy super rares and uniques is there's less competition at those levels. There's just fewer lineups entered into those, those slates or tournaments or whatever you want to call them. But at the very beginning of the limited contests, um, division five, was one of the least had the least number of entrants at the beginning and mm-hmm. it's slowly creeping up as people buy these limiteds and acquire them and are able to enter teams but um there's still there's still tournaments where you know half the people are winning cards or more than half the people are winning cards because there's just not enough people that can complete a lineup yet right. i think the uh, the slight problem is that so many people in those divisions are winning these cards that they're selling for ETH. And I like that. I don't know who's buying those also. (laughs) I think that's the other problem, but like I've sold cards like that and I, I, they sell and I'm sitting there like, why would anyone buy this? Why would you want a DMP limited card tier three? Like guy has not played in two years. What, like, why do you want this guy? He's the third string goalkeeper or whatever. There are people who are buying and, and it's almost like I understand the people who buy all of them more than the people who buy just a sum of like some of them. Like if you buy like all of the 0.001 cards and you're just like one of these, one day I'll sell for 0.1 and it all pays like that I get. But the ones that buy the, I mean, thank you to all of those people who are buying these cards from me (laughs) that I don't want at all. But I think those are going to be the people that like get stuck because you're not going to be able to get out of those. Yeah, and, you know, and you're the host, Andrew, so I'll take your lead. If it fits in to what you can talk about for a moment, I'm curious about what's happening at the other end of the market, the unique end of the market. It's something I never trafficked in and never planned to. Certainly, I can respect the, the collectability on some of those, especially the very top, top, top ones. Um, but I just never saw that as being a market that was worthwhile, a totally illiquid. What's what's your take on that end? The, I mean, it was obviously of a relatively illiquid market just based off of supply. Like there just aren't that many cards and the demand felt very uh, congested. I, I don't know what word I, mm-hmm. I concentrated yeah. maybe in like a few people who could afford these cards. And it was just this weird thing that there weren't that many people who had like four or five uniques. It was like, you either had one or a hundred of them. Right. right. And obviously the number of people who have, or let's just say dozens of them, like those, the number of those people is just not that big. So if you like want to sell a unique, it's like, all right, 
well, one of these eight people can afford to buy it and are and would be interested. But right. what we've seen in the literally in the last week are people, and it came when they announced when they uh did the new seasons of, of PSG. So we got new Messi cards, new Neymars, new Mbappes, where there were super rares selling for $45,000, to people who had never bought a so rare card before. And so we're at this point where like, maybe there are people in this level that are going to come in and do it. But like, ultimately, you're not going to have thousands of people who are going to be able to buy unique cards. And so, like you said, I think you need to be a specialist in illiquid assets to be able to handle that because I mean, the, the people who own a ton of uniques don't use them all. Like they, they, they like fundamentally cannot use all of their uniques. They're not enough to, you know, contest to enter. And so they're buying these uniques of like, I guess with the idea that one of them becomes the next Messi or Ronaldo right. and that pays for the others. But I mean, it's obviously just a, a humongous financial gamble that is just so far beyond what I can stomach myself even thinking about that. I, right. I don't know how they do it. Yeah. And like what my thought about uniques, I thought about like, you couldn't, you couldn't even buy five because you can't count on five cards being like eligible and, and not injured and like you, you you almost needed to like set your mind to have 10 or 12 if you wanted to like field one lineup a week in some yep. you know, division one and you know that's a that's a big slug man and, but, and, and the other difficulty is that the good cards usually aren't for sale right. like the people who have these portfolios of uniques don't want to give up the best cards because they help them win more of these or they're the most expensive ones. And I mean, because the, the, the player pool, meaning the so rare manager pool of people who play at that level, if you sell one of yours, you're making it harder for your, not only do you not have that card anymore to play in your lineups, but now you're competing against it because whoever you sold it to is going to play it. Right. And so I I've just always looked at, at the unique uh, marketplace as almost like a totally different game than what everybody else is playing. And right. it's fun to watch, you know, five and six digit transfer fees, but I, that's all it is. I'm just watching. Yeah. I mean, clearly we need more Nigerian princes and, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, royalty from overseas to, to join, join the game. Yeah. But I think, I, I mean, people get excited about this whole, like, Oh, look, this is somebody who just bought, I forget which card it was. It was either a Messi or a Neymar. The Neymar super rare. The Neymar super rare. And yeah. like that's that was their first introduction to so rare of I'm going to spend whatever it was, $45,000 yeah. on this digital card. I have no idea if they bought another one, but it was just like, oh, this is fun. Somebody else is here. But like it doesn't it doesn't change the game for me at all. I'm not selling cards to these people. You know, like I, I it's like I said, it's just a different world for me. Yeah. Look, hey, hey and there's still like, hey, I mean, I, I'm bullish on the platform. I mean, there's there's tens and thousands of great fans that probably still haven't signed up for so rare. There's still like totally room to grow. So, um, and I think they're doing like a fantastic job. Like, really not, barely they're barely misstepping. Um, 
again, I thought the supply demand thing, I thought they could maybe do more about that for that week or two, but maybe, maybe they couldn't. Um, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I will say this, but those round of, those round of fundings and stuff, those are great. And that means that there's like some company with deep pockets that believes in the product that does create pressure. And, yep. uh, you know, they're going to have pressure to grow revenue. And right now, the only way they're growing revenue right now for what the product is today is by selling more soccer cards. Yeah. You know, on the primary market, not the secondary the, market. Well, no, that, that was going to be my point. Yeah. The only way they make money is selling more cards in the primary market, which is a detriment to your galleries. Yeah. So like, like in a macro sense, is a detriment. No, to your 100%. No, it's absolutely right. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's like at odds. And, you know, um, you know, Andrew Laird, you and I know, you and I have seen like the evolution of daily fantasy, right? To, to being like these contests, um, what it used to be to going to what we call um, top heavy contests where like, you know, first place is a million dollars, but fifth place is 50 bucks where it's like totally yeah. these top heavy prize pools. Cause, cause they thought, geez, to draw in the users, we have to have that headline number be a million dollar prize, even though giving a million to first and 50 bucks to fifth, that just the game can't sustain itself that no. way because people don't yeah. like, people don't win anything. Um, the vast majority of people that are playing don't win. And so I just wonder, you know, so we're like those guys that run this platform are going to need to think about issues like that when things maybe stagnate a little bit or, and it will just be interesting to see which levers uh, they pull because there's like a whole community of people watching every lever very closely and then reacting to those levers. And and by the way, this is people, remember, and people are stupid. And so people will react like negatively to something that's positive. So right. it's like might not even be their fault at so rare headquarters. Just it's just people's interpretation of actions that can unfurl something. So the talking about the speed of auctions now obviously the introduction of the limited cards gave them a significant supply boost that they had to get these cards out you obviously haven't been to the auctions in a while because it doesn't you don't need to buy cards they are giving uh closing have them auctions guess. Have them guess. how often do you think these auctions well, well, are i mean it's it's like 10 20 seconds right it's now down to 10 seconds every 10, 10 seconds, seconds they're selling a limited card. And the but the rares are every 3 minutes, which actually is slower than it was previously. That is slower, yeah. But they don't need to sell them as much because they're like the demand for the limited cards is so high. But what you, what you were saying about pulling the levers. So when they introduce a new a new team, we've seen they will bang out like upwards of 65 cards per player on day one, which sounds absurd. Of, of, because we're, of rares? Of, no. of uh, limiteds. Oh, so limited. they'll do, yeah, limited, 65. So on day one, uh, when wow. PSG came out, I think it was it's around 65. Let's say it is. Like there were 65 messy auctions for limited cards on day one. So that's the problem, obviously, for the secondary market when you're like, if you bought, you know, card number 11 and you're like, I'm going to flip this quickly. And it's like, well, you're going to try to flip this quickly, but there are 
50 more auctions that are about to happen. So like you're kind of stuck. And so we saw what, so I think the first ones, meaning once the one of the thousands came down, they were settling around like point, uh, the, the one the, up until 10, it was like around 0.7 ETH. And then, you know, it was just progressively lower. I think 0.52 was the lowest that we saw. But the problem, so I remember, I forget which card it was, but one of the early ones, it was bought for 0.711 and then put on the market for 0.720. And it was like, you're not going to sell this card because the auction's already down to 0.55 and there are 30 more auctions to go. What happened later though, is that once the 65, the day one were done, now they start doing like two or three a day and now they're creeping back up. And so that 0.72 is going to sell. But the problem is you're like, great, I sold a Messi at 0.72, but you paid 0.711 for it. Right. And there are other people who paid 0.5, but like we, we just know, like I think people underestimate just how many cards a thousand is, but we're seeing it so quickly with prices going from, I mean, the first one was like three ETH, but like we've seen that the serial one is always going to be way higher. Right, right. But like literally we're seeing it like 0.52 and I'm, let me see if I can pull this up. But like the messy cards are now like coming back up because- Yeah, they're back up to like point, the last four are 0 0.786, 0 0.715, 0 0.68, 0 0.68. And there were some people who got like the 0.5, like the number 0.52 is just like so stuck in my head because I can't believe somebody got it. Like for, as I'm thinking, like that cheap. But we, so what was the serial number of those last ones though? Uh, 50, 59, 58, 57, 56. So we have 940 and change left. And yet these things are still like flying up, but like the, the limited card market I, is but it's so the, strange. I mean, part of the reason for that is there's literally only one more on auction right now. Number 60 is on auction. It's already up to 0.655 and it ends in eight hours. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I'm fascinated by like, the math and the like they're, they're obviously there's like they're very deliberate on what they're doing but let's also not kid ourselves like they can't predict what's going to happen they can do all the math and have an economist on hand and do all this all this crap like mm -hmm. they don't know what's going to happen either and so they they can go with a hypothesis but like this is a, a complex i mean I've said it before. I've said it on this podcast. So rare is a really complex ecosystem and marketplace. It's fascinating. And I can't wait to see what happens with it. I think it's kind of unprecedented. We've never had or seen anything like it. Totally. I haven't at least. Totally. Ivaldo, so there was an auction that closed a few minutes ago that I had here on my computer. And I'm curious what, curious what you think the price would be. So Martin Vandevort is obviously the, the gank goalkeeper. He's 19. He's like, the, believe the most expensive U23 goalkeeper. Yeah. How much do you think his limited card sold for in dollars? Now, this is the new scarcity. It's supposed to, you know, be cheaper to, to let us get it in. I mean, if the limited card is selling anything over for him, and I know him, he's special. I mean, is it over like, is it over five or 600 bucks? 988. Sucker. No, I'm just <laughs> Love it. I mean, Do you I think just... that's this is the I mean this is the cheap way to play. 
and and obviously this is an elite elite card. But yeah, I get it. I get it. I just I don't know. It, I, I don't know. I, yeah, hell's bells. Did, <laughs> did you have? Have you had any thoughts of I should have not sold when I did? Oh, uh, zero. I, I like literally zero. Not because I'm like overconfident in myself. I just I really didn't think that. I I do. I was thinking consciously that like I really liked, and, and this is not um, rear view mirror stuff because I'm sitting here today. I really liked the thought of being getting out of ETH when it was like. 36, 37, like it, that just felt frothy to me. To me, it did. To some people, it doesn't. And so that was like really comfortable for me. And I was happy with that. Um, so. <laughs> I just sold another card, by the way. Congratulations. What, what was, what was their name? It's easier to sell more. <laughs> I should sell more? No. No, once you do sell and get over that barrier, it gets easier to keep selling. I, I think there are a lot of cards that I probably should have sold. I mean, there are definitely cards I should have sold, but I, I find cards that I use significantly harder to sell, even at egregious prices. Like there are people who come to me and they're like, what would you like for this card? And I get, maybe I just am not comfortable giving an egregious price even because I actually wonder if I should, like if that's a good deal or not. Right. I don't know. I don't know how I'm how I'm explaining this. I hear you. But you I don't want to offend anyone. That's what it sounds like. No, well, I'm I'm okay offending people if they're they come to me and say, How much do you want for this card? Gotcha. And if I'm not selling it and I'm just like Ten. Ten, you know, yeah. like that's what it's gonna take to get me. The, what gets me are the people who are like, Yeah, but the lowest on the market is and I'm like, mine's not on the market. Right. I'm not trying to sell my car. Right. You're trying to buy my car. This is a very different situation here. Yeah. Um, well, I, I love the ones. Like, hey, hey, mate, I want your, you know, Harold McCudi. And I'm just like, hey, mate, I want a date with Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, kind of play those games. And, you know, um, it really showed your age there, Evaldo. What? Said so it really shows your age there. I know, I know. I said that I did that one on purpose to, to show that. <laughs> so, do you think there? Do you think you're going to be tempted to come back at all? You know, it's a it's a long winter, you know, and like, hey, you're inside, not as much to do. Uh, Steel City, the team that I'm, you know, we're we're in the off season. Like, totally, maybe. I, I, like, yeah, it, it may happen. I mean, I. I enjoy popping into the Discord and and, and hearing you guys uh, talk about the game. Now that might that probably makes me a loser because I'm not I'm not playing the game, but I'm listening to people playing the game, which that's pretty bad, I guess. <laughs> this feels like people who watch esports, though. I think you're, <laughs> but you're actually talking to you know you're talking to us, so you're just right, I don't right. know what what this is actually called, but I voyeurism is what. It's yeah. <laughs> Love it. Fair enough. Love it. Fair enough. Um, so, if anybody came to you and said, "Should I play so rare?" What do you tell them? Oh, oh, totally, totally. And I tell them like to stick with it because I, you know, it, it is hard at first, and, and I, 
from what I gather, they've made the onboarding easier. Obviously, I only onboarded when I did back in December. Um, you know, it, it's a little tough there at the beginning, and you just got to stick with it. Love the game. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I think the hardest part, the hardest part, probably when you started was it was it was pretty much MLS in Belgium and really expensive players, other players in Europe. Like that was it. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. For me, it was more, it was like the, um, the amount of days it took to get like eat from like getting oh, money from yeah. your bank to your wallet to so like there was like a three or four, sometimes a six or six or seven day window that you're just like handcuffed and you're just like, Oh, I want to play. Um, and then you're like your credit card gets, and then you start doing it on your credit card and you get like fraud warnings twice a day. And like, it's just like, it's hard. So you bought, did you buy, you bought ETH and then moved it to the site? You didn't, did you make any purchases with your credit card? You know, I did one or two at the very, very beginning. Okay. Like, like one or two cards with credit card. Gotcha. Cause I think that that is probably the, the easiest way. But then again, um, I know that there's issues with that too, where, you know, every time you bid is, is a, like a, not maybe not a transaction, but it's like uh it shows up on your I don't know. You get charged. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just was unreliable because you it would go through sometimes and sometimes not go through based on a fraud thing. And like that doesn't work when you're like in an auction with 10 seconds left, right? Right. Right. And so that's what the hard part was. Interesting. The phone call your credit card company telling them what you're doing is always fun. I'm I'm buying I'm buying digital soccer cards and they're like what are you you sure you sure you want to do that right Evaldo have you followed the NFT market market at all as a whole um you know just what like is like on my Twitter stream you know with all these like influencers that are out there like cat um, pictures and uh board, board apes. apes. Yeah, like, yeah, so like I'm familiar, but I haven't like, oh, hey, I'm going to go research that and the origin of it and how many there are and whether I'm going to go research whether I think that's a good investment. I've done that to zero of the of the projects. What, what about you? Um, I don't know. I, I follow it. I, I, I not heavy research into any of them. And I know that there's um, I know a lot of the projects uh my opinion, I think that there's a lot of funny business going on in a lot of those uh, uh, markets where, you know, there's manipulation occurring and, and uh, wash trading and, and right. fake sales to make it look like your thing's worth more than it actually is. Um, but then again, I don't, I'm not, I also don't have like data to support my my theories and, and thoughts, but it's just kind of like a, a outsider looking in and that's kind of what I see. I mean, a JPEG of a of an ape is worth what? Like, are you kidding me? Right. I have the same view as you. The only thing that caught my that really caused me pause though for a moment that I was like, hmm, was when I don't know if it was Citibank or Visa or some credit card company or some bank bought a CryptoPunk as part of like their advertising campaign. Visa did. Part of an unadvertising campaign that they had, and I thought, oh, geez, well that's someone could look back on that as a watershed moment for that particular NFT. Uh, yep. so that was surprising to me. Someone, a uh, big company did the same with the board apes. They bought, uh, I forget who it was, but it was 
I don't know, household name. They bought one yeah. and they, they were using it as part of a marketing campaign as well. Yeah. So that you're like, oh, okay. So Evaldi, you're not entering the uh, DraftKings contest that award board apes or crypto punks? I'm not. Do, do they have those? I know they have their own NFTs, but I don't know. I didn't know they tethered themselves to apes and crypto punks. Yeah. Oh. They have some sporadic ones. I think there was a golf one the other day. No kidding. Yeah. Good for them. I mean, look, the guys at DraftKings are like, they're really, really talented. They're really good visionaries. And so I, I wouldn't bet against them finding good marriages of all these new uh, technologies and asset classes. And, you know, their, their tech is obviously great. I, I think DraftKings tech is great. Um, so I wouldn't, bet, I wouldn't bet against them having something that's really good. Do you have any other questions, Andy? I don't. And went through my list. I think we're just we're just sad that you left us. You <laughs> abandoned us. The yeah. the only positive is that we don't have to comp compete with him anymore. Oh, yeah. you guys are experts. You guys are experts. You guys are great. I'll be yeah, watching scouring Twitter for for DNP news. Yeah, just totally nerding out over here. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are That's fantastic. Oh, well. All right. Um, I guess that brings us to the end of the uh, Sober Andrews podcast this week. Ivaldo, thank you so much for coming on. I think that wasn't nearly as doom and gloom as I was actually hoping for. I thought <laughs> you were hoping for it to be more doom and gloom. I think I think I was expecting the podcast to end and for me to be like, I might have to just leave also. <laughs> and, hey, but before Ivaldo leaves, let him plug Steel City. You know, like yeah, oh, yeah. seeing their fights so on. Tell us more about Steel City, where we can get season tickets. That's right. Yeah, well, you know, it's this like team that plays in this minor league baseball stadium near my house, and like as small as I mean, we get like a hundred people a game if we're lucky. But as small as it is, we're literally, and you can follow us on Twitter at Steel City FC. We're literally the first club in American soccer history to get an amnesty payment from an American soccer club. So Chicago House, which is a third division team in NISA, uh, paid us uh, for signing one of our players. Um, and that has never happened. I mean, and like Peter Wilt has validated that. I mean, has it happened in the 1800s? I mean, obviously we don't know that, but like even Peter was like, I, there's no record of this ever happening. So we were like, we, we chuckle at that and we were pretty proud of that. When is the season? It runs from like um, like uh, April um, to like the end of August. Uh, the end of uh, August. It's a very summer season. Uh, not a lot of youth soccer is in the way. Not, not a lot's in the way, which is how we like it. Is it is it mostly players that um, are done with college and they're looking for somewhere else to play? Is that pretty much what you got going yeah, on? Yeah, so both. So um, and we pride ourselves that like kind of our shtick is it's all local players from like a pretty small area. And so our players are like, a lot of them go to the local colleges around here and playing college. There's some that are like the varsity coach coaches of the local high school teams. Um, some teams in our league, it's a 20 team league, the Midwest premier league. Some teams pay some players. Uh, we're just not there yet. Uh, although we did finish third in the table, which we were proud of for our first year and not paying any of the players. Well, wow. um, and so, like, it's it's a little bit of a hodgepodge. Yeah, that's cool. But it, it, it's not like 
these aren't like 35 year old. I mean, these are fit for the most part, uh, you know, in their twenties and still playing at like a decent level. Yeah. We played Chicago house in a friendly, which is, you know, a real third division team. Uh, you know, we lost to them two nothing in a 90 minute game. So we were like relatively competitive. Have, have you guys played any teams from St. Louis out of curiosity? No, the farthest south is uh, Diablos FC, which is in Bloomington, um, Illinois. Wow. That's the farthest south team in the 20-team Midwest Premier League. Okay. But, you know, St. Louis is a hotbed. I, I, I'm in touch pretty often with the, the guys in the league, and I'm volunteering to help them as well expand the league. Like, we really want to get down into, like, southern Illinois and kind of get down kind of in there. There's um, – there's a really good team called Springfield FC in Springfield, Illinois. Okay. That's, that would kind of be like a peer club that would kind of fit into like our model. Um, but but in, in these kind of leagues, you need um you need teams within a drivable small footprint because none of these none of these types of teams are is going to like get on an airplane. Right. None of these guys want to drive you know seven hours to go play a road game. So that's the important thing with things like this, and that's why we've been successful. Because this twenty-team league is pretty pretty compact amongst three states. Have you been in touch with So Rare about Steel City FC cards? <laughs> no, but good idea. I mean, they said they want the top twenty leagues in the world, so I think it's worth uh, <laughs> worth seeing the Midwest Premier League. Well, up there. there are one hundred and eighty teams now. I think I saw, which is incredible, incredible. Love it, yeah. love it. Yeah. Now, one one last question. They have a tagline: "New teams every week." Do they really? Do they really live up to that? Like those words are like on their site, I think. I think yeah. it's an average. Okay. okay. Like they average, they added most of La Liga, but I mean, they added the rest of La Liga. So that gives them, you know, a 12 week gap. And Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. But then they also like, my guess is most weeks they, they're adding teams. Like they added some Peruvian team the other day and it's like, okay, I don't know. I'm not, was not interested in that at all, but um, they're team from Peru. Yeah. Now, and, and, and like a mid-table team. Too. I know we want to wrap up. I mean, the, you get too many of those stray cats and dogs in there that, like, n that the average fan just doesn't care about at all. There's a potential that that gets a little frustrating because you know someone's podiuming because they're an expert at the Peruvian league, which like you don't feel like going in and being an expert in. Um, yeah. Well, I think. I think there already has been where those some of those players will like creep up into the reward pools and somebody will do really well and they'll win a card from like a obscure team or league or something. And certainly there's frustration there when you win the goalkeeper of this Peru team and he's listed as a tier one or a star because he's a goalkeeper. And you're like, oh, I have a Peruvian goalkeeper now. What do I do? Right. And, you know, information might not be as easy on whether he's playing or not playing. Yeah. That yeah. could be a little dicey, actually. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to bring up like a whole other topic. We'll have to we'll have to have you back for a different downer podcast talking about food <laughs> and football. Well, I, 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 I'm I'm not happy that I disappointed, and I'm gonna have to like drink some more aggression before the next one. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you need to buy back in and then sell back out, and then we can talk about right. that too. Right. <laughs> I'll try to think of what that that ripple event is going to be. But if, if I can think of it, if you can dream it, it actually won't be the thing that causes the ripple. Right, right. 
can't be a can't be an unseen circumstance if we saw it. So, right, right. Uh, all right. Once again, this has been the So Rare Andrews podcast, brought to you by Rotowire and sponsored by So Rare. We will be back next week with another topic. If you are if you have something you'd like us to discuss, feel free to reach out to us. Probably the easiest through the So Rare Discord. I am at Lardino. Andy is there at Black. Yvaldo may be creeping around there, but you can always send him questions. Just good luck and find him. But yeah, Yvaldo, thank you for that. Andy, I'll talk to you next week. See you guys. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. For more great content, visit rotowire.com slash soccer. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.